Me, we, us. In the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about relationships, about singleness, about marriage, about preparation for marriage. We want to talk about these very important subjects, all from a biblical perspective. But before we do that, let's pray together for a few minutes. Father, our hearts are heavy this morning for the people of the Ukraine, for the people of Russia. We think of those that have died, those that are mourning on both sides of this war. We pray for peace. We pray for clear thinking, for wisdom from on high. We pray for those on both sides of this war that don't, that don't want this, that are suffering terribly this morning. And we really ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to write a different story than evil intends. So we pray, Father, for the Spirit of God to descend on the church, on the leadership of the church in the Ukraine, largely Christian nation. We pray for the many leaders that are standing up in the church there, for the many people that are refusing to run away and are standing for you. Give them unique opportunities to minister to hurting people, to terrified people all around them. May they have opportunities to proclaim the good news of Christ to people who don't know where to turn. Comfort those who mourn. We pray for you to spare the lives of the innocent, Father, and we help, ask for your help dark hour. We pray, Father, now as we consider your word, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. It's intensely practical. It's alive and living. It's your words to us. So we pray that you would speak now through your servant. We pray that you would be exalted and lifted up through it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up to us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And one of the themes of the New Testament is the invitation to those of us that are in relationship with God through Christ to be imitators of Christ, to have our life shaped in a way that reflects the things of Jesus. And so we want to narrow down today, because that's such a large topic, but we want to focus on one aspect of the life of Christ in particular, and that is the issue of singleness. And you're going to find in this message, yes, primarily directed to those that are single, but there's going to be a number of things for married people as well. And I want to just acknowledge a number of things as I start talking about this important subject. First of all, and perhaps the most obvious one, is that you have a married person here talking about singleness. 
And I'm deeply aware of the fact that, that glib, superficial, even patronizing words on this subject from a married person on singleness and trying to get into the mind of someone that's single, um, at the very least has the potential to be deeply unproductive and at the worst can be very destructive. And so I am counting on the Spirit of God to lead me as we seek to open God's Word on this. I'm going to ask you in your spare moments as I'm talking to pray for me as I talk seeking to bring God's wisdom to this subject. And we want to talk about how to navigate being single in a God-honoring way. And it's really not a simple subject. Secondly, second thing I would just understand and acknowledge right away is I recognize that there's this great diversity among the one out of three adults or so that are single. For example, some people are single here today or listening and are joining us online because of the death of a spouse, and you're experiencing some things and challenges that perhaps you never experienced and perhaps you've never expected to experience. Perhaps you're here today or listening online and you're single because you're divorced. And more than likely, you have gone through a tremendous amount of turmoil in that process. It's possible, highly possible, that you had a great sense of failure and regret through that. There's others that are listening that have never been married, but would like to be married. And maybe this is a choice that you've deliberately chosen to delay for a while until you get older or because of educational pursuits or things of that nature. Maybe you just haven't found the right person yet. Some people listening have deliberately chosen a single life, maybe because of a career choice, maybe because this is something God has put into their heart to do, or maybe a number of other reasons. Some people here are processing the issues of sexual identity in their life, and they're saying, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Would you help me? Would you direct me? Would you help me to reflect Jesus well in this, and you're processing this with God's help. Some people grew up seeing very destructive marriages in front of them in the form of their parents or relatives or people that they knew, and they're saying to themselves, I, I want to just stay away from the, even the possibility of that in my life. And of course, people experience all these things based on who they're uniquely created to be, based on their giftedness, based on their age, whether they're 20 or 40 or 60 or whatever age. There's this wide range of experiences and lenses through which people see this. Some people prefer singleness because of the way they're able to focus their life. Others say that singleness may be not their first preference, but they have a high, high level of contentment as a single person. Other people would say, to be honest with you, Scott, I'm going through a period of mourning and grieving over all this, and I'm asking questions like, why not me? I'm in a position I never wanted to be in. And so I'm very aware, or at least I'm trying to be aware, 
of this wide range of experiences and situations and circumstances of people listening. What I want to do is just try to answer or address a number of questions I've had over the years people pose to me and uh, try to say, what does God have to say about this from his word? So I've had people, single people say, is it wrong for me to want to be married so badly? Or they might say, is, if God is not going to send me a spouse, why doesn't he make this desire go away? Or does this desire seem to indicate that I'm not devoted enough to God? I've had questions like that. And let me just say very clearly that when married or single people respond to very legitimate questions like that with glib cliches, like just, oh, why don't you just get over it and embrace your singleness as a gift? These are deeply hurtful comments. And they're not good. And one of the reasons, and this is the case whether you're single or whether you're married, one of the reasons this desire for intimacy goes so deep is we are created in the image of God. Pastor Brian referenced this from Genesis chapter 1 last week where we see the triune God who has been in perfect relationship One God expressing himself in three persons for all eternity. And he made us in his image. And so this idea of relational intimacy is is set into our DNA. It's who we are by God. And marriage is one, not the only one. Marriage is one of the ways of addressing uh, that desire for intimacy. But let me speak very clearly right now. God never said never said anywhere in the book that to be normal is to be married. He never said that to be normal is to be married. But hunger for intimacy is a God-designed thing. He said it in in our life when he created us. One of the myths about marriage is that it will always remove loneliness. Sometimes I've had come across people like that, not real often, but this is one of the myths. And I just have had to say to gently say to them, I know some incredibly lonely married people. Having said all that, singleness in some people has a way of really bringing these issues to the surface. Obviously, it's experienced different ways by different people, but that pain doesn't necessarily in any way indicate a lack of faith or inadequate devotion to God. Absolutely not. Another question, another, a single might say, if I go ahead and grieve this and become content and God gives me content, my circumstances with being single, and I'm able to even say thank you, God, for this. Is he going to stick me with this for the rest of my life? And I'll sort of gently say, God is not some kind of shady used car dealer. That's not the kind of God we see in the Scripture that we've heard about in the story of Victoria. 
that we've sung about in these psalms of praise that we read about, that Tim read for us from Psalm 23. He's not that kind of God. Really all God asks for every person, whether they're single or whether they're married, is he asks for each of us to say, would you help me, God? Would you empower me? Would you fill me with your spirit so I can accept today? So I can be content in this hour, in this morning, in this day. And tomorrow is a new day. It talks about this in Matthew chapter 25. God is saying, I'm there, I'm all there for you at this moment and this day. And I call on you to be content in your circumstances today. Really what God is saying Sometimes to some people that are single, not all single people, but some, because some are already there. There's this need to pray, God, with your help, I will not wait until I get married for my life to start. I'll grieve to whatever level I need to grieve given who I am and how I'm wired. But with your help, God, I'm going to decide today to carve out a life, if I haven't already, to carve out a life that serves you well, God, that connects deeply with people because people matter to you, very clear from Scripture. A life that fulfills my heart, a life that gives me great purpose. And I'm going to invite Jesus to help me in all of this. I'm going to invite him to fill me with my, his spirit because I want a life as we talked about at the beginning, that imitates him in ever-increasing ways, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, because Jesus understands perfectly. He doesn't have to try to understand. He understands perfectly what it means to be a single person. He understands perfectly, if you're single here today, he understands perfectly what it is that you're going through. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's writing, and Jesus is saying to us in that passage, I invite you to follow me. I invite you to study me. I invite you to be with me. I invite you to learn from me the art of living and living well. And because Jesus is fully God, Scripture teaches and yet at the same time, fully human, he understands perfectly what it means to be single. We read about this in different places, but let me just read some verses that illustrate this idea that he doesn't try to understand, he fully gets it. From the book of Hebrews, it says this, Therefore, since we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. He does it when, when somebody tries to empathize, they're trying to understand what you go through. When they sympathize, they get it because they've been there, done that. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So practical question. 
Did Jesus struggle with managing his sexuality? Well, Jesus was a real person, just like you, so he absolutely did. He struggled with all of the things that we struggle with. He would get hungry, he would get tired, he was in pain sometimes. I'm guessing growing up as a carpenter until the age of 30, he bashed his thumb once or twice with a hammer. That hurts if you've ever done it. I've done it once or twice. There would have been temptations to do things inappropriate in anger. There would have been feelings of abandonment at points in his life. And as the spirit-filled God-man that Scripture teaches, he did all of these things, tempted in every way, it says in that Hebrews 4 passage, and yet did not sin. Did not sin in thought, in word, or in deed. And of course, none of us can claim that we've not sinned because Scripture teaches that all of us has, but Jesus understands the temptation we go through. And so maybe for some singles that are listening, maybe you two need to make the commitment with God's help and the filling of the Spirit to commit to sexual purity. And I know that some here carry the pain of sexual brokenness and the pain of regret. And maybe you're still wondering, how does Jesus respond to me as I'm dealing with this? You know, if you study the life of Jesus in the four historical biographies of his life, the four Gospels, People get in his face all the time because of the things he's doing. Not doing anything wrong, but they don't like what he's doing as he's treating people in a way that they've never treated people, in a way that reflects his heavenly father. And some of the most personal and some of the most vicious and some of the most unwarranted attacks against Jesus was because of the mercy and grace that he poured out to single people with the scars, sexual brokenness. He would say to them, God loves you. I love you. I offer to forgive you. I offer to extend grace to you. I offer cleansing, healing from your sin. I'll walk with you on the path of be there for you. Jesus knew what it was like to be 30 years of age and go to a wedding in Cana of Galilee when he was single. And the whole community, I've been to Cana, the whole community comes out to those weddings to celebrate. And him to be single at a wedding when he's 30 years old and I don't know if this last part happened or not, but I can imagine it happening because I've had some dealings with the folks over there as people came up to Mary, his mom who was there and said things like this, why isn't your son married? And sometimes as married people or as single people, we say deeply insensitive things like that to people and we hurt people by doing that. Jesus understands what it's like to be hurt in that way by people that don't think. 
Jesus created a safe community for friendship and closeness with both men and women in a way that was literally unprecedented in that culture and in that nation. See, and listen to me carefully here. For Jesus being single did not mean being alone. For Jesus being single did not mean being alone or lonely. In the book of Luke, there's these two little interesting verses that we, we just typically blow over verses like this. But let me read them to you for a second because they give you some insight into Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women. And also some women. Now, we read things like that and we think, well, what's the big deal? There was a group of people, a large group of people traveling with him. And understand that in first century Judea, that, those statements that I just read are jaw-dropping words. He has his disciples, but there were women that traveled along with the group with whom they conversed who were part of the community, who ministered together, who served together, who learned together. There is no recorded history of any rabbi ever having done that before this. Ever. This is a big, big deal. And so what Jesus is saying is I, because he's the spirit-filled God-man that never sinned in word, thought, or deed. He expressed healthy affection, words, touch to this whole group because he was a real flesh and blood person, a single person who was not alone and who was not lonely. He also had relationships with families. He modeled that for us. Some of the disciples were married. He also had relationships with other families, one of whom was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we read in John chapter 11, it says there, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And he would stay with them when he was in town. Many of the main characters, as you read the New Testament, many, a number of the main characters in the New Testament were single individuals, likely John the Baptist. We don't know for sure, but likely John the Baptist. Of course, we know Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single, who wrote most of the New Testament, who was the chief architect of the New, of the New Testament church. So I just want to say to you, as clearly as I can, if you're here today and you're single or you're listening online, um, we are so glad you're part of our church. It's vital for you to be part because we cannot be a biblical community as God intends it to be unless there's a diverse group of people, both married and unmarried, doing community and openness together. This is how God intended it to be in his church. Another question single people sometimes will ask, is it wrong for me to go to church 
and have as part of my agenda looking for someone to date and potentially marry? Of course not. It's a great place to find someone. A church can be a wonderful place to meet someone. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are a biblical believer, if Jesus is your Savior and the Lord of your life, Scripture is extremely clear. There's no ambiguity about this. You should only marry a follower of Christ as well because then you'll have the same key priorities in life. And God says this is the best environment for a healthy marriage. When you have different priorities in life, it's just going to cause many hassles. This is why God says don't do it. So going to church and finding someone who's like-minded. Debbie and I met each other at Bible college. We were both followers of Jesus. We both had God first in our life, not other people, him first. And that is a key principle in how you set up the rest of your life. Great place to find someone. Having said all that, I'm going to call on the single people here to commit to not making the finding of a spouse the only relational goal you have outside the walls of the church and inside the church. I give you this little warning as well. If you're single and you find yourself just floating from church to church, never putting down roots, never establishing healthy relationships, it's likely you've gotten off track. If you find yourself not serving in some area as a Christ follower, either inside or outside the church or some combination thereof, that's not a good approach because you're so busy looking for someone to marry. Or if you walk into a room, say at church, at a church event, and you're talking with someone and you're scanning the room and you go up to someone and really you're you're saying, is this person a person I would potentially date and perhaps potentially marry someday? And when you discover they're not, you immediately move away from them and go find someone else. And you really can't be fully present with whoever it is standing in front of you. You may well have gotten off the track. Make sure, I'm going to invite you to make this commitment, real practical commitment. Make the commitment to say, with God's help, I'm going to enter into authentic, growth-producing, God-honoring, intergenerational, solid friendships with men and women, both married and single. What about some warnings to those of us, I've had one or two already, to those of us that are married, but... Married people, people like me, sometimes we need lots of these. How do we communicate, how do we com, um, contribute, rather, to a healthy community? Well, first of all, don't say stupid, hurtful things to single people. Things like this. Why aren't you married? I've heard people say things like that. And I've gotten after them when they do. Very hurtful. Because it's like you're dangerously close to saying, why aren't you normal? 
Or are you dating someone? Because if the answer is no, what's the follow-up question? Or some little platitude like, don't worry, you'll get married someday. Guess what? That may not be God's plan for that person, and they might be fully on board with it. Sometimes we can say very hurtful things for which we should apologize. Let's build bridges instead. Let's do better. As, we're, as, we're, as married people, as we're growing the relationship network that we're part of, as we're doing friendships or we're, we're going to have a gathering or, or maybe we're going to watch the kids play soccer you know, after school or something like that or the hockey game or we're going to have people over for dinner or something. Let's be intentional about involving married and unmarried people. Last question. Will my desire for intimacy ever be fully satisfied? Not ultimately this side of heaven. Our ultimate hope is not that if we're unmarried, we'll get married someday and we'll be ultimately satisfied intimately. Or if we are married, it'll just somehow get better and that intimacy will ultimately be satisfied it won't be in marriage either. But Jesus says it will one day, but not in this lifetime. And the missed intimacy, to one degree or another, we all experience will be a distant, unrecalled memory in heaven. And in heaven, we will know the intimacy of the soul with the only one who's ever perfectly loved us. And we will know rich intimacy with other human beings that God created. So whether we're single, I want you to listen to a couple of verses from the book of Hosea. Whether single or married, listen to these words of Scripture as they talk about the future in the, in the millennial age and in heaven. And it says this in the book of Hosea, the prophet of this little book back in the latter part of the minor prophet, or the beginning of the minor prophets, rather. Hosea says this prophetically. Listen to these words. In that day, in other words, future day, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you. Betroth is just a fancy way of saying, uh, I'll marry you. I'll betroth you forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. And what Hosea is saying is, whatever you may have experienced in life here, there's something like, whether you're single or married, there is something like a wedding in your future. In which the relationship with God will be breathtaking. It will be awe-inspiring intimacy that we never experience this side of heaven fully, that goes much, much beyond our ability to even imagine what it will be like. Whether you're single or whether you're married, 
If you have known rejection in your life, the day is coming, Hosea says, and we've read about and sung about earlier in this service. The day is coming for those that are in Christ, that have bowed the knee to Jesus, who've been cleansed of their sin and are in relationship with him. The day is coming where you, for, for every moment of the rest of eternity, you will know to your core that God says, I chose you just as you are. You'll be with the one because of what Jesus did for you. You'll be with the one who knows you completely, who has always perfectly loved you. The one scripture says, when we're there with him face to face, every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more pain, no more darkness. Isaiah says, I will betroth you to me. God says, I choose you. 